In this episode, you're going to hear about 20 or so movies that are set in Washington, D.C. As with any podcast about movies, there may be some spoilers ahead. So if you want a full list of the movies we cover, you can check out the show notes for this episode over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. With that said, let's get started. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. This episode is sponsored by Trip Hacks DC Tours. We may be on hiatus right now because of the pandemic, but we will be back eventually. So the next time you travel to DC, we'll be here to help show you around. You can learn more about our tours over at triphexdc.com slash tours. Today, I am joined by Ronald Young Jr. He is the owner of Oh, It's Big Ron Studios and host of the Leaving the Theater podcast. So, Ronald, welcome. Glad to be here. So, Leaving the Theater podcast, I find this a fascinating concept because it is a podcast that you do. You review movies literally as you are walking out of the theater. Yes, 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 yes. So, I decided that, uh, you know... I, I always feel, you know, I think people all always think that they need processing time as they're watching a movie. And for me, as soon as a movie ends, I have thoughts and I always want to talk about those things immediately as it as uh, it comes out. So I came up with leaving the theater because I want to talk as my opinions are still in flux. And as I'm talking, I'm processing. And by the time I get to the end of that, like 10 or 15 minute period from thinking about the movie, talking about it as I walk to my car, I've like formed an opinion on the movie that I love to share about it and i think that's basically what leaving the theater is it's you processing a movie afterwards and just forming your opinion on the spot and saying yep this is what i think and this is how i felt no i i'm totally into it because when i was younger i used to go to the movies every week at least once a week and my friends and i as soon as the movie was over we would go to the pizza place across the street and we would talk about the movie absolutely so we're doing a podcast episode about movies that are set in washington dc and this is a topic that i wanted to cover because Right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and there's not a lot of people coming to visit Washington, D.C. right now. Unfortunately for me, as a tour guide, I don't have any business at the moment. But, you know, people, maybe they want to get a little inspiration for a future trip, or maybe they just, they just want to escape a little bit right now. And so watching some movies that are set in Washington, D.C. could be a way to do that. So, Ronald, I want to start by asking what your favorite movie that is set in Washington, D.C. is. So uh, it's funny. When you ask me this question— I had to really think through. I'm like, man, what movies do I do I know or do I think about that, you know, show the city well? And I would argue that there's not very many movies that do a great job at it. But that being said, I think right now my favorite movie is Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, that's set in DC. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't do the greatest job of representing the city as much as representing the uh, bureaucracy um, that's happening around in and around the city at the time of the movie. But um, there are several scenes in it where they just do wide shots of um, the uh, Potomac rivers, specifically between Georgetown and Roslyn. And uh, just it's big long shots of the city where you're like, they put a building where there's not really a building building in real life. And I'm, it's a very imaginative glance of what DC would look like if there was a great big building that was like overlooking the Potomac River right across, you know, that kind of like bridged the gap between uh, 
Virginia and D.C., which a lot of movies don't really talk much about the relationship between Virginia and D.C. and Maryland as it comes to this region. So, yeah, that's a that's a good that's an interesting choice. It's one that I hadn't thought of either. I'm not a big superhero movie person to be completely upfront about that. So uh, I haven't seen them all. So I'll tell you the one that uh, is my personal favorite. And it's not really set in D.C., and so we can debate about whether it's a DC movie or not. But my personal favorite is National Treasure. Uh, and if we're, if we're counting sequels, I would say National Treasure 2 as well. Now, the original, it, it opens and they have a scene where they find a clue and then they have to come to DC to get the next clue because it's on the back of the Declaration of Independence. So they're, you know, breaking into the National Archives and they're standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to talk about how they're going to steal the Declaration and all that stuff. And so to me, it's, it's a good movie because it's just a lot of fun and it's not one that is realistic in any way but that you can just spend two hours and just have some fun with yeah so let me just first tell you i love the national treasure series and i'm still feel like justice for uh nicholas cage because we don't have national treasure three um which is i was i was excited about it actually happening you know and i feel like there's been mixed reviews on people how they feel about that and nick and nicholas i want to keep saying nick cannon but uh with between nicholas cage's acting but yeah you're right as someone who maybe never saw any of those locations until after the movies came out, like I had never been to Philly before. I don't think I'd ever been to Philly before they went to Philly in the movie. I remember when I went to Philly, I was like, it's funny when I saw national treasure again after this, I was like, you know, this kind of, this does feel like Philly. Like it, it feels like they did a good job of capturing it. Even though it was very touristy parts, even the parts that weren't very touristy, it felt like they captured it. As for the DC portions, like you said, when they're hanging out on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial discussing plans, I, I'm just like, that just doesn't even feel like a convenient place. As someone who's from D.C., (laughs) it just doesn't feel like a convenient place to discuss anything. Uh, uh, And especially since... You know, every time they show the national, memo- uh, the uh, the Lincoln Memorial in any type of movie, they show it with nobody there. It's like just a couple people there, clandestine meeting, that type of thing. It's never like that. You can never go to the Lincoln Memorial and see nobody there at the middle of the night. Someone's always going to be there. Like even if it's a guard telling you you can't be here, someone's always going to be there. Like like taking up space in your pictures, being around. It's just never as abandoned as they make it look. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because I feel like movies set an unfair expectation for people who come to visit D.C. Because I can't tell you how many times on my tours we've gotten to the Lincoln Memorial. It's crawling with people, eighth graders on field trips, all that stuff. And my um, customers say, is it always this busy? (laughs) Uh, Because they didn't expect it to be. And the answer is yes, it's literally always this busy. So. It's funny that you mentioned that that's not a very good spot to have a meeting because my one of my biggest gripes with the movie, and I might be the only pe- person who has noticed this, is that they start by going to the FBI headquarters uh, and you know telling them that they're going to steal the Declaration of Independence, which, by the way, if you were going to do that, you'd go to the FBI field office, which is near the D.C. police headquarters, not the FBI headquarters on Pennsylvania Avenue. But that's another thing. And then they go to the National Archives to inform them the archivist, that uh, this is going to happen. And then they go to the Lincoln Memorial. Now, that's over a mile away. And so what were they doing in between the time when they left the National Archives and they got to the Lincoln Memorial? You know, they didn't talk about it at all in between. It's only like once they already traveled all the way over there that they decide to start discussing the topic. And, you know, they could have just gone to the Starbucks across the street anyway if they wanted to have that conversation. 
Well, let's talk about, okay, look, remind me where the archives is. Is Am I thinking of the, ar- uh, and I guess I'm weird in my mind, I'm thinking of the portrait gallery all of a sudden? Yeah, the ar- they're both on 7th Street, Northwest. So the archives is on 7th and Pennsylvania Avenue. And then the portrait gallery is just a few blocks north of that. So they're very close to each other. But the Lincoln Memorial is way over on 23rd Street, and these are over on 7th Street. So it's a long distance to travel. Yes, yes. No, that's like when you said that, when I said that, I'm like, I would never... Unless I was like trying to prank a friend, be like, "Oh yeah, it's right over here next to the Lincoln Memorial." Like that's a that's a bit of a hike in in and like driving. No, and we, and I think what I mean, your listeners should understand when we say hike, we don't mean like, "Oh, you're gonna be driving for an hour." But we're saying like, if you were just hanging out in D.C. and you were walking, that would not be a pleasant stroll. Like it's not like, hey, like let's you'd like you'd want you'd probably take an uber or maybe at least a bike share to get there and at least say hey we're going to see a little bit of the city like take a relaxing uh ride over there but the idea of walking around there and just be like oh this is a good place to plan like you're right just go to the starbucks what are you doing (laughs) so another movie that has a very similar scene that's set on the steps of the lincoln memorial is wedding crashers this is one that um I think is is fun and it's set in D.C. and people don't consider it a D.C. movie because the plot is not about the president or FBI agents or anything like that. It's about some divorce attorneys or divorce mediators, I think is their technical term. And they live in D.C. and that's just, you know, about the fun that they have causing trouble here. Yeah. And they, I think the thing that stands out to me about that movie is like that you saying that it is a D.C. movie and I don't remember much like after basically they get into the wedding portions where they're like they get they go on the wedding excursion where they're away with the family for the weekend um that movie like really to me ceases to be like much of a dc movie as a matter of fact if i'm am i i don't know if i'm mistaken are they in maryland during that portion during the weekend portion yeah i think they are they're not in the city uh during many of the scenes um but there is the there is the sort of famous scene where they're sitting on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, and exactly like you said, not a soul around. <laughs> they're the only people there, completely unrealistic. And they're drinking champagne, which, you know, if you've ever been uh, to the National Mall, the National Park uh, Rangers and National Park Police don't take too kindly to public drinking. <laughs> yeah, they will yoke you up quick. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a bit unrealistic, but it's, you know, it's a f- movie that's supposed to be fun, so we're not supposed to take it too seriously like we are. No, and I, and, I, and I don't. I, I guess for me, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a responsible tour guide, even though I just started today. <laughs> but I'm thinking in terms of uh, in terms of somebody who's watching that being like, oh, man, that's so iconic. I want to go do what they're doing. And uh, like you said, I, I I mean, sorry, like I said, that movie doesn't feel nearly as much very DC centric outside of that scene, which, again, is an irresponsible use of representation of the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, another one that uh, is. Uh, has a Lincoln Memorial scene is Night at the Museum 2 Battle of the Smithsonian. Um, a lot of this is a very popular movie with kids. I know when people come on my tours, I'll often ask, you know, what's your favorite DC movie? And not a lot of people say Night at the Museum unless they're kids because it's a great movie for just that sort of kid friendly partier brain. Um, and so I think it's it's really good for that. The premise of the movie is that they have this tablet that brings museum exhibits to life. And so that lets the uh, different things in the museum come to life. And it's uh, all good fun. But they bring it to the Lincoln Memorial, which lets good old Honest Abe come to life. And uh, he talks to them. Uh, you know, the thing that probably bothers me the most about this movie is its inconsistency, because it's like, if you bring something to life, are you bringing it 
are you bringing the character like for instance if you're bringing something that is a blinking to life well that's not actually a blinking it's just a sculpture of the likeness of a blinking so what about the tablet actually takes the spirit of a blinking lincoln and puts it into the likeness of a blinking and I, now that i've said that i know that i've talked i know i've talked the fun out of the movie <laughs> But it's like it's totally different when you wake up the wake up Ramsey's sarcophagus because it's like that was actual Ramsey's. You know what I mean? So like when he wakes up, it makes sense. But if it's just like if I draw a picture of Barack Obama, if that picture comes to life, it's actually Barack Obama now. <laughs> yeah, I think what you're saying is the reason why this is such a popular kids movie yeah. and not such a popular adults movie. <laughs> If you think about it uh, at all, it really doesn't make any sense. The thing that gnaws at me about it is that um, in the movie, they say that there's this giant underground archive of muse- like things at the museum that um, aren't on display. And the Smithsonian does have a lot of stuff that's not on display at any given time, but the idea that it's in this giant uh, underground place and that it's not protected in any way, like someone could just wander around down there and it's like, you know, going through your grandma's attic and just stuff everywhere. Uh, yeah, that kind of bugs oh, me. Now, I will bit. say this, like something that people don't know is I did some freelance work at one of the, I believe it was the Museum of American History and um, freelance mm-hmm. just going into there to record one of the curators. And I remember thinking when I went over there, I didn't go into the main entrance, like the main, like the actual museum entrance. I went to a side entrance. And when I got in there, I really was overwhelmed by the back Uh, the office buildings and the back entrances that are in museums that like a normal person just never gets to see. So I'm in there and I'm like, yo, this is just like a straight up office. Like somebody works here. Here's like getting coffee over there. And like, I thought this was a magical place where you could like, you know, see a woolly mammoth and (laughs) and walk through butterflies and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, this is like, that guy's like just doing like a regular job over there. This is, but like you said, like when you said the underground place of, uh, of all these, you know, exhibits that we don't get to see, it exists. It's just way more boring than these movies depict. <laughs> yes, yes. One of my pet peeves is that the movies make the Pentagon look like a really interesting place. Yeah. And in reality, it is the world's largest office building. It's literally the world's largest office building. And so cubicles, uh, computers, people sitting at desks, it's all in there. And the stuff that you see in the movies, mm, not so it's much. It's not fun. Like, I, I remember I've been, my mother worked at the Pentagon several times. Um, and if, you, if you're from this region, you've had a relative or someone that has been in and around all of the buildings in DC and my mom worked at the Pentagon when during the 9-11 attacks too like she was there when it happened so in in terms of like how I view the Pentagon I'm always like I think everyone thinks that like deep underneath the Pentagon there's a bunker and I'm like that may, may very well be true but other than that it's like it's like you said, it's just a bit, it's a very, it's a very architecturally sound office building. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, you don't go to look at people's cubicles or desks when you're on vacation, when you're seeing the sites. Exactly. And so exactly. not, not the top of my list by any means. Yeah. Well, you know, Transformers, and I'm sorry to bring this up, the Transformers movies are set a lot <laughs> in DC uh, or the first two. And there's a lot of like, let's go to the Pentagon. And they always show this fancy version of the Pentagon, which I haven't seen. It, it might exist again, but I've never seen it where there's like 40 generals all like behind these sleek, like sliding glass doors and like touch technology and all kinds of stuff down there. And I'm like, if you've worked in any bureaucratic element of dc you know that uh technology is not our forte (laughs) they're not every they are like skittish of a new fangled technology things they're like that's not secure we can't use that so the idea that there's this one part of the pentagon that's super futuristic and awesome just i mean that's a dream that i love to have as well (laughs) 
Yeah, it, Transformers is a really good example of how some movies the producers try to do a good job of making it look realistic like it's set in DC and I would say National Treasure is probably on that end of the spectrum and I would say the Transformers is on the complete other end of the spectrum Absolutely. Uh, like for example you will have a scene where they're allegedly in DC and they're walking among skyscrapers Yeah, uh, because these movies are filmed in Los Angeles or Toronto or Atlanta or wherever you know they, they get the best deal to film and if you're not – and I think um, one of the Captain America movies was, was even filmed in Cleveland. A big chase scene uh, was filmed there. So it, it's very rare that a movie, especially uh, an action movie with chase scenes and things blowing up, is going to be filmed in D.C. And the extent to which the producers try to make it look realistic, sometimes it's very sloppy and sometimes it's okay. Yeah, I think that's the difference between people doing the research and uh, about the city and people just deciding, like, for instance, I imagine when they did Transformers, they're like, all right, great. So we need the Department of Defense fall. They're like, cool. And they did the whole scene about the Department of Defense. And then at the end, they're like, well, where should this be located? They're like, okay, yeah, it'll be at the Pentagon. And then they just get a stock shot of an overhead of the Pentagon and then just go back to wherever their bunker was in their minds. And in a lot, in a lot of times, they will have... Have, uh, they will bring the actors to DC to do the establishing shots, and then they'll film it in Los Angeles or wherever they're filming it. An example of that is a somewhat recent movie, The Post, which is about the Washington Post, and uh, Tom Hanks is one of the main actors in that movie. And there, I remember the day that they were doing the establishing shots because people said, hey, I saw Tom Hanks over on 3rd Street today by the Capitol because that's where they were filming. So it, they, they do occasionally mix in uh, you know, those establishing shots that they might film in a single day or two days here with the rest of the movie, which is filmed elsewhere. Yeah, which, I mean, it's fair. Like we said, it's, I mean, it's all sleight of hand in terms of getting a feel for the city. But I think, um, and the argument we can get into if you want, but like not necessarily is that uh, what is the feel of D.C.? And for everybody outside of D.C., it's always super political. It always has to do more with the cities and the pomps and the circumstance and the politics than it does with the fact that like there's also a bunch of people that just live here and aren't really that political they just love dc yeah uh, one movie that i think does a decent job of kind of showcasing that is called burn after reading have you seen that one yes Arnold? yes so that's a coen brothers movie now i don't know how you feel about the coen brothers <laughs> uh people tend to have very strong opinions about them and their movies um i will say that I, i'm not going to get into their movies in general but i do like this movie in particular yeah i think they do a good job in that movie you know what the, the problem is i think uh, the coen brothers are very good at just showing things um putting the extraordinary next to things that are also very mundane and a lot of parts of burn after reading are really just you know people doing stuff but they're still in an office building they're still doing their everyday jobs and i think because the combination of this uh them showing like a slice of life or norm core whatever you want to call it uh, next to it being in dc kind of like brings down some of the more grandiose parts of the city and it it puts in people's minds that yeah there are people here that are like going to work in a cubicle and that's their job and they did a very good job of showing that in burn after reading yeah and just oh, we'll give some spoilers because this movie's old enough i feel like at this point if you haven't seen it uh you should go see it but you know the there is the fired CIA agent uh, and there's the guy, the incompetent guy working at the State Department. Of course, they're all incompetent because it's a Coen Brothers movie. But then the other characters are these two characters who just work at a gym, right? And you think like, that is the job for a lot of people here. They work at a gym. They work at a restaurant. They work as a tour guide. And not everybody is some, you know, high up State Department person. 
but they kind of mix those two worlds together, and I think that's what makes the movie uh, especially interesting. Yeah, and let me tell you, as somebody who's contracted for the State Department, um, everybody at the State Department wants you to think that their job is way more prestigious than it is. Uh, and I have a friend who's a diplomat, and she's actually like a part of the prestigious wing of the State Department. But everyone else is just like, hey, I'm just, you know, I'm an automation clerk. And it's like, what does that even mean, bro? Like, why are you wearing a seersucker suit every day? Like, you don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's also part of the allure of DC is people uh, putting off an air of more importance than they are. And that I feel like that that's what the essence people capture in these movies, which is like they're doing something important over there. And it's like not always, not always. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that um, I sometimes tell people when we're on the tour is I say the the thing is that most of the people around us are just regular people. They're tourists like you. They're tour guides like me. But you never really know because there are 535 total members of the House and House of Representatives and Senate. How many of them would you recognize on the street? And people go through it in their head. And they're like, I don't know, 10, you know? And so it's like, you never know who somebody is. And maybe they are somebody important. Maybe they are someone who thinks they're more important than they are. But you never really know. Yeah. I mean, I guess you really don't ever consider them the most le- the least important member of Congress. <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Mike Smith, he's the least important member of Congress. <laughs> And it, it's always kind of uh, interesting um, when you do recognize someone and they're not someone who's used to being recognized. Yeah. You really catch them off guard. Yeah. You can really startle them if you're not careful. Yeah, and then you can get a you probably get a real picture and all that with them too because they're just like, "What? You know me? Absolutely, I'll take a picture oh, no with doubt. you." <laughs> no doubt. Uh, so yeah, so that kind of leads to the fact that a lot of movies that are considered, I guess, DC movies are just about politics uh, or about the president. So you know, the American president is one of the best examples of this. It's a uh, Aaron Sorkin movie, and so it's very well produced and well acted, well produced. But it's a movie about the president, and so to the extent that you think that that's a DC movie, I guess depends on your perspective. Agree. I think um, so. I, I, again, I think that falls in a line of, of movies that have this idea of what DC should be, um, and I think for them it's always and i feel like it's the same way with that uh with the show house of cards where they want to show you a version of dc that's very like um that almost feels like a like like they replace all the finance of new york and all the hustle and bustle of new york with political activity and political words you know what i mean and they and they replace it so much so that it just it it, it comes off as this kind of like sanitized uh slickness if you will. And I feel like um, what uh, the president's the president's meant, I'm sorry, the American president, what it does is it kind of um, it takes that same approach, but it, it kind of glamorizes uh, romanticizes D.C. a bit where it like gives you like more of these night shots and it's like, look at this beautiful city where there's like political secrets, but also there's love. And so it's like it it kind of just shows the city more through a rosier lens, but it comes from the same spirit of this like of of um kind of um boiling down one idea of what you think the city is. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And because it's an Aaron Sorkin movie, it's got that yeah. cinematography about yeah. it that you just love, even if you're watching it as someone from DC and you're saying this isn't quite right, <laughs> you still love it because yes. because it's his stuff. Yeah. Um an, another movie, so that's on the executive side, you know, president's the executive branch. If you want to go over to the legislative branch, there's some movies there, you know, the classic is Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, a movie that I think I watched in high school in civics class. 
and it, it should be required reading, uh, required watching, I think, just as a history lesson, because I don't think it's realistic anymore, but it is quite a good movie. Yeah, I think, um, and also that's the type of movie that leans into the idea of what it's like to, quote, go to Washington. Like, when when they're like, well, we gotta go, like, even the idea of, like, if you think about the most recent presidential election, the idea that somebody was going to go to Washington and mm. clean out mm-hmm. all the trash, like, it, it's, it also represents an idea of what, or it leans into a thought of what people think Washington is. And Mr. Smith goes to Washington, does a good job of that. You have this everyday, this everyman who's, like, going to Washington to accomplish something, and he's like, I don't know how these guys talk or who these guys are, but I'm just gonna go give them some earnest small-town talk. And if you're going to Congress, a lot of the people that you're dealing with in Congress have only learned that those political stylings, those political, uh, those uh, the political language. So you can talk to them like humans because that's just a guy from Nebraska who works in D.C., really, that it is a person who is of the city. But then again, the idea of the of the D.C. culture being built by people who are transient or people who are largely a part of the transient population is much of why D.C. doesn't have, I think, the nailed down identity that people like you and I can see if you if you're of the region. Yes, absolutely. I, I think you nailed it with uh, that description. And, you know, the movie itself is very much of its time. So this movie came out in 1939. Things were different back yeah. then. The type of people who would be in the Senate uh, were different back then. I mean, it not that different, but uh, still, you know, you, you kind of know what I'm talking be about. Different. And the, <laughs> the plot of the movie centers around the fact that he's doing this filibuster where he's going on the Senate floor and just talking, you know, for 25 hours straight. That doesn't happen anymore because they changed the rules. So that that drama doesn't happen anymore. But like I said, I think this one is worth watching for the history lesson. Maybe not watch it and think that any of this is realistic today. Uh, But another movie that's uh, similarly set is, and this is a bit of a sillier one, is Legally Blonde 2, Red, White, and Blonde. And the, the premise of this one is similar because it's like she is a do-gooder and she's just gotten fired from her firm because they were representing the evil corporation and now she's going to come to D.C. and clean up all the corruption and, you know, it turns out her boss is a backstabber and it just kind of leads into this idea that everybody in the House of Representatives or in Congress is this backstabbing, you know, evil type of type of character yeah absolutely and i think uh it makes dc an easy punching bag because i feel like again if you go to the campaign trail and the way people look at uh, outsiders look at dc they just look at it as this place that's rampant with corruption and i'm like uh, unfortunately what people don't realize is that the corruption that is in dc begins in new york on wall street <laughs> before it ever gets before it ever gets down to dc and i think everyone automatically assumes that all of these this wheeling and dealing is done in this city and that's all you guys are doing you're you're making your political back alley deals and the lobbyists are coming in i'm like and yes that stuff is happening but that's not the the uh that is not the lead character characterization of people who live in this region. Like, and and it's funny whenever I hear somebody that's not from here describe DC in an unfavorable way and, and using any of these types of terms, um, I automatically, I'm, I know that they're not from here. I'm like, if you're from here, you have a totally different idea of what this place is like. And I, and I, I think um, legally blind is almost a great companion to Mr. Smith goes to Washington because it just gives it from a different perspective. Yeah. So I want to, Completely flip that on its head and talk about a movie that's not about politicians at all or any federal stuff. And that is the cult classic DC Cab. (laughs) It's from 1983. Uh, I take it it from your reaction that you've seen this one. It's been a very long time, but yes. Yeah, so it's about uh, a 
you know, a young guy who moves to D.C. He wants to work for this cab company who the owner was a, you know, Vietnam War veteran of his father. And, you know, the people who work for the cab company are all just like, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, interesting <laughs> characters. Ragamuffins. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to think of a good way to describe these guys. But, you know, it's it's a movie that is not about politicians at all. There is a scene, you know, where there's like a kidnapping at a, in an embassy or something like that. Again, spoilers. But it's still entertaining to watch nonetheless. But, you know, the people who are the characters in this movie are just regular old folks who are just trying to make a living. Yeah, but I, I, I almost feel like that movie could have been set anywhere. Um, like it could have been called New York cab or Chicago cab, um, because the, they really weren't. And I, and I have to watch it again closely to really understand the characters that they got there, but they really just built a movie about a fish out of water story being the main character who wants to work for this company, uh, working for this company of like, of people that are essentially like a motley crew of a family. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's something, and that is driving the movie more than the location. So it's, they could have done that same thing uh, anywhere and just like changed a couple of things. They could have called it like uh, uh, LA cab and, and done essentially the same thing with the characters and stuff. But you're right. Like being that in terms of like the background and what you see of DC, uh, much of it is more like this is just very urban. This is very metropolitan, but none of this is like doesn't necessarily unique to DC unless you see them just driving down Independence Avenue or something like that. I totally agree. This could have been Baltimore Cab. This could have been LA Cab. Whatever. Uh, and of course, because it's DC Cab, there is a scene where Mr. T gives a very uh, inspiring speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Of because if it's about <laughs> DC, there has to be the Lincoln Memorial in there. Absolutely. And. Uh, so that's that's fun. But the fact that it is DC Cab and not Baltimore Cab is, I think, pretty cool because we finally got one about the city that's not just about the president or, you know, some do-gooder coming to Congress to clean it up or any of the previous movies that we just talked about and critiqued. Absolutely. Okay, so we have to talk about Forrest Gump because even though it's set in many places, when I ask people who come on my tour, what's your favorite DC movie, uh, probably Forrest Gump is said more than any other single movie. And so there's, of course, the famous scene where he gives the speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial about the Vietnam War, and nobody could hear it because there were audio problems. And then there's the Watergate scene, which, in my personal opinion, is the funniest scene in the whole movie, and I think is the most underrated scene, because it's not one that people usually talk about when they talk about Forrest Gump. Yeah. I I think also, but I think (laughs) it's funny because in a lot of ways, the Washington scenes and Forrest Gump are very much Mr. Smith goes to Washington or Legally Blonde, where it's still the little guy coming to like the big city and like, you know, he's going to make a difference. And it's like a very different way that he makes a difference in the city. Like he kind of runs across the runs afoul of the Black Panther, uh, like you said, stumbles onto Watergate. And uh, he, go, he goes into the White House for all the different presidential administrations. Yeah, yeah. like all those things where he's like he's he's still but he's still a part of like the uh, looking at D.C. as like the rosier um it's always fun to, in a movie where they show somebody going to D.C. for that big moment, for that big testifying before Congress moment, that big tell the Vietnam speech moment, give me my medal moment. Like they love that because it's it's such a piece of Americana uh, going basically to the, you know, the principal's office or to the king's house to get coronated or to get a, uh, to get some sort of recognition. I feel like that's the lens that it's looking at it through. But, yeah, you're right that the Watergate scene is very, very underrated. And it's like, I think he says they're looking for something. I, I don't know. They got lights on. And could you tell them to turn those lights off? 
I, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, everything I know about w- the Watergate scandal and all that is very cut and dry. But to just think about some guy staying in the hotel, you know, calling in security yeah. uh, because of the break-in, it, I, don't, I just find it so hilarious in a way that apparently not everyone else does. <laughs> no, that is. I mean, I'm like, I imagine, I imagine that that could have very well happened, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like I, I think the the absurdity of the uh, of such a normal thing happening, and again, it's such an extraordinary circumstance. So one last genre of movie that I want to talk about is the um, type of movie where the city gets blown up, and so this happens in Independence Day. Olympus has fallen. Uh, White House down. I think the whole premise of the movie is about the fact that the White House is getting blown up. Yes, I'm not a big fan of these type of movies. Uh, do you watch these? Uh, yeah. So Olympus has fallen. White House down. Independence Day, and don't don't forget 2012. Uh, Roland Emmerich oh, yes. also comes That's and destroys right. the White House again. Uh, <laughs> he also does it. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, again in his sequel to Independence Day, the lesser known uh, Independence Forever, which is not very good. Do not go see that movie. Uh, no, because it doesn't even have Will Smith. No, in it. and they. They knew that they were like doing it they're like no will smith let's just go crazy and i was like nope and they set up for a sequel then i'm like you're not gonna get you're not gonna get this sequel <laughs> who do you think you are uh but that being said all of these movies uh like take great pride in destroying washington and they're not necessarily my favorite although i do white house down and olympus has fallen are actually twin movies um, that came out in the same year about the same mm. thing. Um, but, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, but Olympus Has Fallen got a little bit more uh, room because they got two sequels out of it, um, including Paris Has Fallen and um, and Angel Has Fallen, which all are just about, you know, uh, going after the president or whatever, what have you. But I think the best version of that that I've seen is, um, is probably Olympus Has Fallen, only because... If you were going to take the White House, it really points out how many waves of people you would have to, like, kill in order to do that. And which that's not pleasant to think about. But if you've ever driven through D.C. in the White House, there are men with guns everywhere. And I don't mean men with just like sidearms. Those guys are there, too. But I mean men with large weapons strapped to their chest and men standing behind like large, even larger weapons, like ready for something to go down. So I think it does a good job of of showing how that would be much of a firefight. But the actual destruction of the city, I think they just like it as a like, hey, isn't this cool? Look, we blew up the White House. Isn't this cool? And I'm just like, what about the mess? Who's going to clean that up or who's going (laughs) to? Like what? I don't want to. I don't want to deal with the, what comes after that if that were to happen in DC. Great point. One more movie uh, that we completely skipped over because it didn't fit into any of the genres that we were discussing earlier: uh, The Exorcist, the, the nineteen seventy three yes. classic horror movie. It's set at Georgetown University, mm-hmm. and the reason that I bring it up is because this is a movie that has a very tangible thing to go along with it, which is the Exorcist Stairs yep. in Georgetown, yep. which people do go and see when they come on a trip here. Yeah, uh, and I think it's funny because everyone always talks about the Exorcist Stairs, and I, I've i seen them. I'm impressed because they're very steep, and they, they look like I – and I see people – it's funny because – I always I have people in my timeline who are like getting that workout in, going up the exorcist stairs. And so it's kind of taken away some of the allure of the stairs if I like really enjoy the movie. And you're talking about a movie that's like horrific, horrific in its description of like demon possession and the way that people are moving, like from everything, the way the cut, the imagery, all that stuff. And then like, you know, cut to 2020. Somebody's like, yeah, I'm getting my fit on going up the exorcist stairs. Like it's it, it feels like the juxtaposition between those two uses of this such an iconic location that that's really what like stands out the most to me in my mind 
Yeah, and that's another one where, uh, in theory, it could have been any, I guess, Catholic university could have been this, you know, set for a movie like that. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they chose, George, chose Georgetown, um, you know, that's where the book was set, so obviously they wanted to be realistic to that. But, uh, yeah, it's not a DC movie in the very federal, you know, political uh, sense that a lot of these movies are. So in, in that sense, it's a little different. Yeah, I think in general, I mean, even there was a movie, there was a, uh, there was the, sh- the Housewives shows. They did a Real Housewives of DC. There's also done a Real Housewives of, of Potomac that is set in and around the region. And I feel like even those don't really capture the idea of somebody, uh, the idea of somebody being, like I said, of the region, but not nece- not necessarily uh, being in the city all the time. Because I think a lot of people assume that if you're in D.C., it's like New York, where you're just in the city all the time. But uh, another thing people don't talk about with New York is that you could be in different parts of New York and all of them have different feels. Like if you're in Long Island versus Brooklyn versus Manhattan. So I think uh, anything that... Like whenever you think about DC being a character in a film, you always think of it as just kind of being like the big setting, like or the message we're trying to send you is that this little guy's about to overgrow, overthrow this big thing more than it is trying to show you like something that's of this region. Absolutely. Well, Ronald, I want to thank you so much for coming on, talking movies with me for the last half hour. And I'm going to leave a list in the show notes for all the movies that we discussed. And I'm also going to leave a Wikipedia article, which has over 200 movies in it that has at least one scene that's set in DC, because this conversation today, this was not comprehensive. And so, you know, if, you, if you're if you listening to this and you think, hey, what about this or what about that? Uh, we didn't forget about it. It's just, there's just only so much time in the day. Uh, and these were some of our favorites. And so I just wanted to make sure that um, I added that list so that people knew that if they wanted to see every single movie with a DC scene in it, they could do that. But I know we mentioned before that you have Leaving the Theater, and I know that you have some other podcast projects going on. So where can people find you, and what kind of stuff are you up to? Oh, yeah. Uh, you can reach me on my Twitter or Instagram, at oh, it's Big Ron. That's at O-H-I-T-S-B-I-G-R-O-N. I am, uh, like you said before, the owner and CEO of uh Oh, it's Big Ron Studios, where I have a couple of creative properties. Our two main things are the podcast Time Well Spent and Leaving the Theater, which is the movie review podcast. Uh, Time Well Spent is more of uh, narrative storytelling. Um, it, it kind of takes stories from my life and teases out the lesson. So it's uh, almost like live parables. So uh, check those out wherever you can. You can. Again, you can follow me at Oh, it's Big Ron at O-H-I-T-S-B-I-G-R-O-N, Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.